Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Um, we, this week, are going back to the John Bassoff well. Um, you may ask yourself, what is the John Bassoff well? Well, <laughs> oh, I <laughs> like see I, what you uh, Yeah, you like that? <laughs> I don't know. 108 episodes or so ago, we reviewed Corrosion by John Bassoff. And that was episode 176, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, 176. Yeah, published October 29th, 2013. So it's been a little over two years. And now um, we are reinvigorated by John Bassoff um, in part because he's going to be at Noir at the Bar, which we'll talk about. So he thought it would be a great time. Um, This is his new release, and we are uh, reviewing The Incurables. Um, But first, a little bit about the author. John was born in 1974 in New York City and currently lives in a ghost town somewhere in Colorado. His mountain gothic novel, Corrosion, was called startlingly original and unsettling. Wait, did we say that? No, Tom Piccarilli said that. Uh, And Tom is a four-time winner of the Bram Stoker Award and won Dark Fuse Reader's Choice Award for Best Novel. His surrealistic follow-up factory town was called A Hallucinatory Descent into an Urban Hell by Bram Stoker Award-winning author Ramsey Campbell. Both novels have been adapted into films with Corrosion slated to begin filming in 2015. That would be kind of interesting, huh? I'll be damned, dude. Yeah, so yeah, well, that's we'll, news have to, to me. we'll have to find out from uh, from John next week if uh, if that's something that's uh, that's still in the works or how far along it is. Yeah. I, I do want to point out, though, that we are three-time winners of the This Is Horror Awards. Yeah, just want to yeah. put that, yeah. to put and that I'm pretty out there. Sure, I'm pretty sure back two years ago he said <laughs> stuff like, I really like this book. Yeah. Or something along that, yeah. those lines. I think yeah, I so. remember saying I dug the book. <laughs> yeah, so I think that it's time to update the Amazon, uh, the Am- the Amazon author bio page for this to include three-time <laughs> This Is Horror Award winners saying, this book was pretty good. Yeah. We'll, we'll strong-arm John Bassoff at the uh, North the Bar event next week. Absolutely. Or this coming weekend, I should say. It's practically... It is. Days it may away. May as well be tomorrow. Days away. Here's a little bit about the book we just read, which is The Incurables. The year is 1953. Disgraced in the psychiatric hospital where he'd practiced for nearly 30 years, Dr. Walter Freeman has taken to traversing the country and proselyting about a very new kind of salvation, the transorbital lobotomy. With an ice pick and a hammer, Freeman promises to cure depression and catatonia, delusions and psychosis, with a procedure as simple and safe as curing a toothache. When he enters the backwater Oklahoma town of Burnwood, however, his own sanity will be tested. Around him swirls a degenerate and delusional cast of characters, a preacher who believes his son to be the Messiah, a demented and violent young prostitute, and a trio of machete-wielding brothers, all weaved into a grotesque narrative that reveals how blind faith in anything can lead to destruction. Yep. um, This book is... uh, I don't know. You know, when I take a step back from this book, this is one of the weirder books we've read recently. Coming off the heels of the G.G. Allen book, you would think that that would be hard to say, but I 100% agree with you. <laughs> yeah, well, the G.G. Allen book, though, was was very openly just just ridiculous, you know, in scope and, and wasn't um, meant to be attached to anything that could be construed as real life, which brings us to point number one. This book is in part at least based in reality in that Dr. Walter Freeman did invent the transorbital lobotomy, but my uh, in-depth research the Wikipedia page, um, did not indicate that, that he was involved in the things we're going to talk about. But he definitely invented it, and it is exactly what it says. Uh, taking an ice pick, inserting it into the corner of somebody's eye, just wiggling it back and forth until you server, sever some um, nerves, I guess, that cause you to be nuts. More or less. <laughs> you got to give it up to someone who wasn't, um, wasn't satisfied with the frontal lobotomy. And he's like, you know what, I think we can do better. Right. Process improvement. There was like almost no recovery time. It's simpler. It's less messy and less bloody, I believe, (laughs) and probably less dangerous, too. Well, I mean, I think wasn't the frontal lobotomy the same thing or did they do it differently? Did they cut into your head for a frontal lobotomy? Like actually cut into your head? No. Uh, I don't know. know. Well, I'll tell you what. If you start talking about the story, maybe I'll go research that a little bit. All right. So the... Um, story kicks off in the early 50s 
um, Dr. Freeman has just um, performed another transorbital lobotomy on a uh, Edgar who was a um, I was going to say serial killer, but I guess that's not really right. He killed a couple of people and has been locked up. And it's basically the last transorbital lobotomy that Dr. Freeman is able to practice in a in a actual care facility as he is um, basically yeah he isn't fired he's told that he just can't do that anymore but his belief in his ability to save people through the transorbital lobotomy kind of he just says you know what fuck it I'm done I quit walks out goes home gets into a fight with his wife and then is like you know what fuck it I'm done with this too takes a bag of money that he's had stashed away and hits the road but not before picking up his last patient, Edgar, who goes on to be a um, an Igor of sorts to his Dr. Frankenstein. Yeah, that was a whole big swirl of shit that was crazy right at the beginning, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it, it was a, I don't know, it was a nice way to just spend a few pages to catch you up with the backstory of... Um, I don't know. He's not really the protagonist in this book. I guess we can talk about who the protagonist actually is or, or what our thoughts are on it a little later. But yeah, it was it was a very quick catching up to where we need to be, um, which is in Burnwood two years later um, where Dr. Walter Freeman lands and is doing <laughs> so weird. He's doing a carnival barker circus sideshow type of, um, you know, snake oil salesman <laughs> pitch to people about getting transorbital lobotomies, which is so fucking, like I said, this book is so weird. <laughs> uh, you know, and we, we've seen it, right? We've seen it in all the old movies and we've seen it in other books where someone pulls up with a little wagon and throws out a sign for a miracle cure um, and basically is scamming people out of money. Only this guy legit will perform a transorbital lobotomy pretty much anywhere. And... um you know, at least he he genuinely believes that this is the cure for for madness. Um, as a as a bit of an aside, I did kind of jump on the Wikipedia page for lobotomies in general, and weirdly enough, it doesn't tell you how to do a lobotomy. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably so, <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> but at one point, um. It does, when we're talking, it, it, there's a part of it for the transorbital lobotomy, and it does say that the Freeman Watts prefrontal lobotomy still required drilling holes in the scalp. So surgery had to be performed in an operating room by trained neurosurgeons. Walter Freeman believed the surgery would be unavailable, blah, blah, blah. So I think that, like, there was some drilling going on. Did you ever see that movie Pi? I did see Pi. Pi is a very interesting film. Remember that dude was drilling a hole in his head? I think it's kind of like that, but, like, not a crazy person who loves math. okay but um yeah i guess like and then if you see i guess yeah like the thing when i'm thinking of this fucking lobotomy i'm thinking about did you see the movie from hell (laughs) yes i saw from hell about (laughs) i'm all over the i'm all over the place tonight yeah 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 it's about fucking jack the ripper right right and they do lobotomies all over the place in that movie and that's that's how they do it they got that thing and they just like hammer it into someone's eye socket Oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, now that you mentioned, I mean, it's not a movie I remember really well, but I do remember that. So yeah. there you go, transorbital lobotomies, which is <laughs> interestingly enough, then is historically inaccurate as he invented it in the fifties, right? And it didn't exist in Jack the Ripper times. Yeah, Jack the Ripper time was way before then, right? I'm guessing. Yeah, it was in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we're in Burnwood now. We are. And um, in Burnwood, we're introduced to some of our main characters including Durango, who is um, a a really weirdly named character who is the son of this guy who, um, the best way I could describe him is, like, tragedy struck his family. His his wife, Durango's mother, died um, earlier in their life, and he kind of went nuts and became this kind of preacher guy to, you know... And that was kind of his way of dealing with the fact that he lost his wife. And he considers Durango, his son, to be like the second coming of Christ. Even though there's really no real evidence or reason he would think that. It's more like he had a dream where it was kind of told to him that Durango is the second coming of Christ. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah. And 
and um, they set up shop. And when I say they, um, Durango's father um, sets up shop in different towns and, and preaches about, you know, salvation. So in kind of the same carnival barker fashion, um, he puts his son out there with a crown of thorns on his head, insists he's the Messiah and tells people they needs to be saved. And also promises like um, miracles that never happen. I guess that this is kind of an ongoing thing as they've been traveling around. And um, the dad has been claiming his son is is the Messiah. It, like he's sitting on his throne with a crown, you know, crown of thorns and everything. And he's saying, if you want to be healed, you know, blah, blah, blah. My son's going to make that shit happen. And then it never happens. And he's always disappointed. So um, guy's just completely nuts. But his son feels bad because... You know, they lost his mom and everything, so he just kind of feels bad for his dad and goes along with it. Yeah, and Durango is um, 16, I think. 17? Something like that, yeah. So he's a teenager. And then uh, not too far after we meet Durango, we meet the the third, I want to say, like, uh, I guess the, the third person. So you've got Dr. Freeman, he's got a sidekick. And you've got Durango, and Durango's kind of got whatever you would call his dad, kind of a sidekick. Um, and then we meet Scent. Uh, scent as in the the smell scent, uh, <laughs> scent not like as in I sent, I was going to send something to right. you in the past tense, right. right? Yes, yep. Um, and scent, according to my notes here, that Rob put together is the crazy whore. <laughs> <laughs> scent is a young prostitute, um, and she is a year older than Durango, and I remember she's either seventeen or eighteen. And uh, scent's deal is uh, her mother um, is a little is a little wacky. And is waiting for the return of her um, of her baby daddy of her husband. Um, he had to leave town when Scent was just a, a little baby, um, and promised to return. And her mother um, waits every day in a wedding dress and does nothing but basically wait for her husband to uh, to come home. Which has led Scent to a, a very tough childhood and uh, the, her ability to bring in some money to feed them, uh, to feed her and her mother, basically through through prostituting herself around this small town. So if you're not picking up on a theme yet, um, a lot of our characters are just fucking crazy. So um, the ones that aren't necessarily like primarily crazy are still kind of weird. So... You've got Durango's dad, definitely just kind of like a nutball loony, right? And then you've got Scent's mom, Baby, who is completely crazy because all she does is sit around every day in a wedding dress waiting for 16 plus years for her husband to come back, who's on the run from the law for various reasons. And then you've got um, Dr. Freeman's sidekick. So all the sidekicks really are the crazy people. And um, Edgar is his sidekick, the one that he lobotomized. He was a former killer. Um so there's so much crazy kind of simmering for a lot of this story very close to the surface and um what it does is it makes us kind of like latch on to the sanity that we find in durango and scent and dr freeman who are all pretty fucked up themselves if you ask me yeah so a little bit of backstory um perhaps on scent um durango has just kind of grown up with this burden that he has to to carry and, and his father you know claiming he's the messiah um sent through her her prostitution um has recently um killed somebody um and it's not opposed to doing so again if she feels wronged enough so there's that kind of hanging over this whole story so you've got her she's a um, murderous prostitute you've got durango the the alleged second company of christ and then you've got dr freeman who let's face it thinks that that any kind of problem can be solved with <laughs> With an ice pick to the eyeball, basically. Um, but the other thing is, too, there are so many weird people in this town. So there, there are a lot of people, and you're all, they're only seen in passing. But it's almost like this town itself is is just cursed with kind of madness. Yeah. So there's not a lot of like sanity to grasp onto, and um, we basically go from scene to scene, just dealing with how messed up this town is. So if we're not seeing messed up from kind of like the the main laundry list of characters we already told you, we're seeing messed up just anecdotally um, from different characters in the town, including like um, the the sheriff um, at one point picks up scent, picks up scent. It sounds weird to say that. Um, 
because she's suspected of doing some stuff and in exchange for some sexual favors he's going to help her out that kind of thing and um so like that's just the way that everything goes man there's just like everybody's got a, an ulterior motive and um everybody's got some crazy thing or because of what they do something crazy happens so it's just i mean like my impression of what's it burnwood right burnwood yes this town burnwood is is that everybody's nuts and everybody's this weird backwoods inbred crazy person like for the whole book it doesn't let up it's it's, it's a constant pace of just like Really messed up weird things are happening. Um, the other point of interest in this book, the other catalyst, is that um, there, there may be, and again, maybe because this is based on the word of crazy people, Scent may have access to some money, which would um, you would think would just solve her problems. But after she meets Durango, she figures they can use this money to, um, to run off together and both of them can escape their crazed parents. So that's uh, a little more motivation on her end. So I guess to to recap, Freeman just wants to save the world because he has this this ability that he doesn't feel anybody else has. Um, Durango is just kind of dealing, but really trying to get out of um, having to be the second coming of Christ. And then Scent has a, a not necessarily a money motivation, a motivation to get away from all of this. But money is going to be how she can do that. Yeah, and. Um... Really, it's just how those kind of needs and wants kind of play into each other. Um, it's not surprising that Durango and Scent kind of become interested in each other. Um, but they both have crazy family members, so um, suddenly there's this person who comes into town who is promising that he could very easily cure crazy people. So this is how they all kind of get swirled together. Um, but really going beyond that is going to spoil a lot of what the story is. So uh, I think we did this last time with the Bassoff book, uh, Corrosion. There was a lot of the story that we didn't talk about just because it would spoil a lot of kind of the fundamental parts of the reveal of the story. So I think we're going to do the same thing this, and we're going to cut off story a little bit, but I think we can talk about you know, a little more general stuff and then obviously jump into quotes and stuff like that too. Yeah, all of these people, um, the the other, at least for me, and, and you may... Uh, you may agree or not. Um, it's another underlying current in here, and it's kind of it's family. So, not not family that good way, not that loyalty to family that you may see in other stories, but this really kind of desire to be away from your family from Scent and, and Durango because they're both dealing with crazy parents that could have done better by them. But then you have Freeman, and, and this isn't, it's more than hinted at um, through, through the course of the story, especially early on. Um, he has lost a son when he was a teenager, but, but Edgar is, is who he basically kind of has put that son mantle onto. And, you know, he, he talks to Edgar about the, the old days and, you know, and he kind of does that, that paternal thing where he tries to share this wisdom with him, even though Edgar is uh, pretty clearly not able to receive any of the sage advice and wisdom from, from Dr. Freeman. So it's really about kind of crazy family members too. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. There's just a lot of like fucked up family dynamic going on. Um, are people compensating for who they've lost or people who are dealing with people who are just weird in their family? So it's like, it's not the usual family dynamic. It's an uncommon kind of burden of family. Um, but in addition to that, I remember one of the big things that we talked about with um, Corrosion was just how the violence was just so fucking stark and real. And there is <laughs> no change <laughs> in this book uh, when it comes to that. So there's there's a good amount of violence throughout. So uh, I think that <laughs> actually a, a little sidetrack story. Um, when we reviewed Corrosion, I remember we both kind of, I, th I don't know if we gave it, I think we gave it both like, what, four stars, Livius? Yes, yes, we agreed on that at four stars. Yeah, so we, we pretty much, we thought it was a good book and everything. We, we liked it a lot. Um, based on that review, uh, a co-worker of mine bought and, <laughs> bought and read the book. And um, this, this guy, I love him to death. He's like the nicest person in the world. But I don't know if his, sens his level of like sensibility, or sen not sensibility, sensitivity, um, was up to the task. <laughs> of the violence in the book 
because after he got done reading it or even before he was done reading it, it was just like I, I don't know it's just it's really it's just really violent and um so i think it <laughs> i felt really bad because i was like oh man i really like this book and this guy doesn't like it because of the violence so um it's not that anything really disturbing happens but the violence is very very real and um it's not dressed up it's just like man there's some rough stuff that happens in this book yeah, I think this goes back to you and I talk about this a lot, like uh, desensitized, how desensitized I am. But I think some of it's wearing on you, too. We forget there are people out there who would read something like this or, or you know, or or corrosion or, or any of the other and be like, oh, my God, what's happening? And we're just like, yep, yep, here's another scene. This is good stuff. You know, like we're we're into it where other people actually see it and kind of have to take a step back from it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's why um in my day job I do my best to to make sure that um the the customers in my line of work do not discover that I'm a book reviewer. Um just to avoid weird situations where like if someone were to listen to that and then come back in, you know? I I want to avoid that if possible. So sometimes I'll have someone say, "Oh yeah, I was talking about your podcast to this customer." And I'll say, "Oh man, why were you doing that?" Um just be <laughs> for the G.G. Allen books of the world. Um, so, but yeah, <laughs> I think that this book carries on that tradition of the Bassoff level of just like really stark, um, messed up violence. There's definitely several deaths in this book, and I don't think there's anything really like protracted or de- deranged or deprived that happens, but there is definitely. Um, some killing going on as well yeah it's not yeah it's not gratuitous in any way shape or form but yeah the the thing that that we're learning about about john's writing is that it's going to be very real when it happens so very blunt force trauma violence you know versus you know as rob said kind of stylized violence so i don't know i really like that stuff i i I think it's great so all in all it's really the story of like people trying to make the world or at least their own worlds kind of better either for themselves or, or in the case of Dr. Freeman in general and just how terribly bad it goes in this weird town of Burnwood, which is just this backwater hick kind of town where things like that just don't work very well. That's kind of my overall impression of the book where people line up outside a hotel room to get transorbital lobotomies. (laughs) It's one of the more entertaining parts (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> because we have the funny thing is so we have uh, one of our main characters is this young prostitute who is very straightforward about like she sells her body for money and that's how she survives so she's not she doesn't want to do it but she's not like ashamed of it she doesn't like back down from it you know um but that's not the line out the door at the at the motel it's not for her it's for the guy who's pounding an ice pick into your eye socket <laughs> <laughs> Good, good stuff. Um, you ready to do some quotes? I think I am ready to do some quotes. All right, so the first one I want to talk about is just um, a, a little backstory about Scent, and it's around one of her um, little dalliances that ends ends in, in tragedy. So uh, the setup for this story is there was a, uh, a young writer who was traveling across country to go to California to be with his girlfriend, and he manages to stop, you know, by chance in, in the town of Burnwood and meets Scent. And they have kind of a dalliance together. And um, this is a little bit of, of kind of like a recollection of, of their time together. Scent told him that he sure wasn't a very good boyfriend, skewering some whore in Oklahoma. And he said he guessed he wasn't. And that was when Scent shot him three times in the chest, sending him toppling into the river, washed away, washed away. It was stupid, and she felt badly for his girlfriend, who would wait and wait for a dead man. For a long time, she wondered what his name was, and then a month or so later, a fisherman discovered the body, skin all eaten by fish, and she found out his name was Tom Hartwood, and she thought that sure was a nice name for a mean boy. Yeah, I had a portion of that um, also as a quote, because I did really think that that whole storyline was just terrific. It's really good, and it kind of shows like the... I think it's a good cross section in general of of the the way that scent thinks and stuff. My first one is um, regarding uh, Durango. So Durango and um, Stanton, his dad, 
um, they they don't have any money. They're, they're they're street corner preachers, so they're sleeping in the woods and then going into town during the day doing their preaching thing, and going back to the woods at night. Because the sleeping bag wasn't his, they'd found it in a dumpster just outside of Abilene. And when you sleep in a stranger's bag, still fresh with his stink, you take on his nightmares. You hear the screams echoing in that olden well, see the woman with her eyes cauterized shut, smell the decay seeping in from the attic floor, feel the blood lathered in your hair. That's some weird shit. That sleeping bag totally came from another book <laughs> that takes place in Abilene <laughs> that's got a bunch of weird shit going on. Right. <laughs> Um, another quote about Durango, um, just kind of this is more like a introspective moment, I think, for Durango. If he were the Messiah, if he were really the Messiah, then the forest animals wouldn't scare him. But he was just a boy, and his father was just a lunatic. Very good stuff. This is, um, at one point, Dr. Freeman is using Edgar as an example well, he frequently uses him as an example of how the transorbital lobotomy can cure anybody. So at one point, we get Edgar's backstory through a soliloquy that um, that the doctor does in front of the group of people. So he's he's narrating uh, the story of Edgar killing this this family. I'm just going to jump in, kind of um, kind of midway here. As she played Jesus Christ has risen today, he took that hacksaw, all smooth wood and burnished metal, and reached around her slender figure and placed the blade against her throat. For a moment she stopped playing, but just for a moment, and then he began sawing. Seriously? (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is a really quick one. I just dug um, the thought behind it, but uh, and I don't have to really set this up at all. Freeman had worked with enough mentally ill people to know that hyper-awareness led to misery, a terrible mistake in the evolutionary process. My, uh, my next quote is, um, Scent and Durango um, are going for a walk. So, and so they walked because there was nothing left to do, because they were both so lonely and lunacy was all around them and it was contagious. Nobody escapes. Scent grabbed Durango's hand, but it was damp with sweat and full of trembles. For a long time, they didn't talk, and that was okay. I like that a lot, too. So That was good good stuff there. I really like their relationship. Um, at first, and maybe this is kind of going back to Corrosion, other, I thought that Scent was really going to kind of use Durango. And, and this isn't really spoilery, but she, she doesn't. She just finds somebody who she thinks can appreciate her for just being her. And not, you know, the, 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 the prostitute, the young whore who, you know, puts out for a few bucks or whatever. So I, I like their relationship. Yeah, it was kind of messed up, but I, I agree with you on that. <clears throat> um, this, or this next quote that I'm going to do just kind of speaks to me as, as an atheist reading a lot about um, religious stuff. <laughs> and just reading, especially these characters and how crazy they were. Um, this is a conversation between... Durango and Scent, and Durango is the first quote. He was sick. He believed I was the Messiah. Scent sneered. But don't you think all religious people are sick? Just because he thought the Messiah was you, don't make him sicker than anybody else. Hey, can I ask you something? Are you yeah. going, am I, did I miss something in the book? Did you go so far as to throw in a sound effect in the background that's supposed to remind me of that town? I keep feeling like I'm listening to someone who's out by a sawmill or some type of factory. If, um, all right. <laughs> You're making me miss the, yeah. the like the like gay cat calls. I I know, right? It's been so quiet in my apartment lately, but for some reason that I can't explain, my refrigerator tonight sounds like it's like a like an old school like gas powered generator. I don't understand it. I don't know um why <laughs> I really don't have a, a, a fast solution for it, so we're just kinda have to deal with it. Um it may be that I just put like a ton of beer in my fridge and it's trying to like compensate for all the extra stuff it needs to cool down. I don't know if that's how refrigerators work, but, um, I was thinking <laughs> while you were saying that, I was like, maybe it's in retaliation for months of not having any actual food in it and just having glass models. <laughs> that is sadly, sadly accurate. Yeah. So, um, I apologize if there's like the sound of, of this roof and I'll know when I'm editing, if it comes through or not, but, um, it's just my refrigerator. So you just, if you hear that, I want you to just be reassured that it's, it's chilling lots and lots of really good beers. I'm going to go with my last quote, which um, 
more than than for how it's written i think it's it's a it's perfect for how the doctor um sees himself and he's talking to scent at this point I co-founded the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. No small feat, but my crowning achievement, darling, was the transorbital lobotomy. Without this procedure, we would still be in the dark ages of psychiatry, a time when patients were merely contained and restrained, a time when they, where they were simply prisoners and doctors were simply jailers. No, my dear, I can assure you, I don't run a racket. That's good stuff. Yeah, I liked it. So I liked his character. I mean, his character was really kind of, you know, pure of heart. Like his motivation was really, I can save the world, which is really cool when everybody else is, you know, and you had mentioned earlier, everyone else is all self-interest and his interest is totally selfless. Like he lives, he does okay. He can afford hotel rooms and food and stuff, but he basically just goes town to town looking to, looking to cure people regardless of his fact that his cure isn't that helpful. And in yeah. some cases, just dangerous. I'm sure in his own mi- in his own mind, it was very altruistic, but um, he doesn't really think about the greater consequences. But again, like you have to think about, it. this is a guy who spent a lot of time in a psych- in psychiatric facilities and stuff like that, so he saw the absolute worst of people. So, I mean, really, a lobotomized person probably did look like a massive improvement, right? Over, um, like a nut a nut job. Well, yeah, but and not to get too far in the story, but it gets to the point where, OK, so he's cured Edgar, who in cold blood murders these people and now follows him around and, and kind of uh, does his bidding and is soft spoken. And I see where that is. But at one point, isn't he talking about lobotomizing a, a nagging wife? Yeah, well, that's where it all falls apart. So, I think. so yeah, <laughs> so it's extended to all kinds of other things like she just talks too much. Let's, you know, let's let's get the ice pick. Yeah, all right. I got a I got a trio of um, quick quotes to wrap up with, if that's okay with you. Perfectly fine by me. Um, these are just kind of examples of good writing that I found throughout the book. Um, a couple at the very beginning, and I think I got one more later on. So no setup. These are just good quotes. She stood there naked, unashamed, despite her small breasts and her flabby stomach, a place where a deranged fetus had once grown. Deranged fetus, man. That gave me the little, little shivers a little bit. I remember that. That's good stuff. And then this just kind of tickled me, uh, especially considering we're book reviewers. He said he was a writer, but Scent had never heard of anything he'd written. See, it's funny because you say that because we're <laughs> reviewers, but I thought about how many writers we, you know. Right, that that would that apply to, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but... Here's the thing. So this is in the 1950s. Now, I don't know how this works because I actually thought about this a little bit when I read it. Nowadays, the average person, now Scent was not in any way in this book marked as somebody who read a lot of books. How many author names would the average person recognize? A dozen? I'm assuming just the absolute classics, right? I'm well, sure well, Mark, no, no, Mark Twain I, I guess was like I mean, really from, big from, at the time. Right. Yeah, and I think that, no, but I mean, so, you know, if you met someone that was a writer, so it'd be a current writer, you know, a dozen names, maybe. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, know what, I'm going to test might this theory out. generous, gonna, to be honest, yeah. I'm going to get one of my coworkers who who is not a reader, <laughs> and I'm going to be like, just name as many current authors as you can, and I'll, I'll bet you they Ooh. don't get to eight. I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to come back with uh, with our results. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Oh, so that was one thought. And then my other thought was, um, I don't know if back then there were less authors in the 50s. So I don't know, you know, how many books in publication in a given week. So we talk often about how many books get self-published or how many small presses there are. And I imagine the 50s, there was probably considerably less published on a regular basis. So maybe it was easier to hear of. I don't want to say all the writers, but you know what I mean? To be more familiar with most of the writers that were in, you know, bigger published or from bigger publishing houses, because maybe that was, you know, two dozen people a year versus hundreds and hundreds now. I'll agree with you. Yeah, I think you got a point there. Because, I mean, I think back in the day it was you were you could call yourself a writer, but until you got, you know, a contract with one of those big publishers that was just something you called yourself. Like no one would have heard of you for any reason. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. One final quote for me to go out on. 
Uh, no setup for this one. Her breath was gone, but they kept at her, all humanity's rage. And as she watched her own blood spread across the hardwood floor, she thought this sure was a funny way to die. It's fucked up, dude. All good stuff, right? See, you say it's all it's fucked up, and I'm like, this is all good stuff. I love all this stuff. So. <laughs> um, why don't you why don't you start off with the wrap ups? All right, uh, the incurables expectations. Um, last time we had no expectations really because we had never read any of Bassoff stuff. So there is a feel to corrosion um, that I was hoping would carry over into this. And, and I, I really think it did. Um, one of the interesting things that we didn't talk about during the review is you've got these, these three. So as you're learning about these people, you've got the, the, the kind of deranged, almost mad scientist doctor on a mission to save the world via ice pick. You've got a prostitute with a crazy mother and you've got a kid who's uh, forced into the role of Messiah. And you're thinking, the fuck are these people all going to come together in one story? And I remember having that same feeling when we were reading Corrosion. Um, and that's kind of, at this point, my expectations for the next Bass Off book is to have some really weird, uncorrelated characters that you know, and try to figure out how they're going to come together. And it's done very well. Um, this is a short book. I, I don't remember what the actual page count is. I read it in digital, but it's it's probably 200-ish pages. Um, it reads super fast, and really there are no no down points. I mean, there are there's a lot of introspective stuff with the characters, but even that is is um, is very worthwhile um, just to see what's going on in these people's heads. You have these kind of weird crossovers between characters that really shouldn't come together in a story but it all plays out really well. I love the dull violence and by dull and non-stylized violence. Um, and I, I love the, the reality through most of this book. There were a couple of parts that I was looking at. This is maybe a little bit of a stretch, but you know what? Even those parts were enjoyable. And overall, I, I liked it equally as much as I like corrosion. So as uh, Robin mentioned earlier, corrosion got a four. This is also going to get four out of five stars from me. Boom. There it is. All right, so first thing I want to say that is, like most of the books that we review, I didn't feel like um, I needed to read the synopsis first. I personally feel like not reading the synopsis allows me to give the story as unbiased a read as possible. I don't have any kind of preconceived notions going into it. Um, so I really didn't know what was going to happen in this book. And The Incurables is enough of a vague kind of title that it doesn't really imply anything that's going to happen in the story. Uh, that being said, I found the book immediately um, engaging. And as Livia said earlier, uh, that it was a quick, <laughs> it was a pretty quick read. Um, I started reading this book around 1230 in the afternoon today, and I was done before six o'clock. Um, and that's not a quick, it's not a straight read through. I did take some breaks here and there. So um, definitely a quick read. Um, but in a way that it's an easy read, not that there's not a lot of content there. Um, as far as the story goes, I really enjoyed all the characters, and I enjoyed the fact that, um, despite the fact that this story... Um, <laughs> kind of led you to believe certain outcomes would happen in the book, it kept you guessing. And um, some things that you thought were going to happen definitely did not end up being the case. Uh, case in point, something that we didn't talk about early on with Durango. Um, at one point, he's trying to heal someone of uh, a loss of vision. We didn't talk about this earlier, but this was a really interesting point. And in reading that scene, and Livius, you can you can back me up on this. It seemed like that the way that it was written, the woman actually regained her sight at the very least for like momentarily. I agree, and I I thought the same thing. So. Right, so I'm like, okay, maybe there is some, some truth to this, uh, this uh, second coming thing, and so I was, it was just enough. It was just enough of a taste of something like this, or enough uncertainty, that as the book went along, it was completely realistic that something like that might happen later on in the book. Whether it does or not, I'm not going to say because obviously we don't want to spoil the story. But I think Bassoff did a great job of of planting seeds for what could be the inevitable outcome for all of our characters. But when the book finally ended, I don't think we necessarily arrived 
at the ending that was the kind of preconceived conclusion. So I have to give him a little credit for that because that's a difficult balancing act and he did a great job with that. Um, uh, great kind of gritty gothic noir kind of feel to it like we've had with the other other Bassoff books and it's got that um, southern kind of twinge to it as well. And it just read well, well written. I did notice one error inconsistency in the book, which um, um, <laughs> I'm sure that over the weekend when I talk to him, he's going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? But uh, that's just a technical thing, and I probably shouldn't even mention it. Great book. I loved it a lot, and um, I think it was a great story. And anybody who's into this type of writing and doesn't have any kind of problem with some straightforward violence would really enjoy this. So I'm going to go with Livius. This is definitely a four-star book. All right, that um, concludes our review of The Incurables. I strongly encourage you to go back. If you haven't, go back and listen to um, episode 176. It's um, uh, John Bassoff's Corrosion review. Um, it'll be interesting because that's two years ago. See if you hear any difference, how much we've changed over two years. It's kind of interesting. I went back and listened to the review, and, and I, I found a couple things interesting of note at least. More importantly, um, you'll be able to hear John Bassoff reading here on the podcast um, in next week's episode, which will be recorded this coming Saturday, November 21st, more at the Bar Chicago. Um, Rob and I will be emceeing um, at the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, at, the, at the kindness of Jay Kingston, who continues to include us in Noir at the Bar, and we're very, very thankful for mercy. that. At the mercy, yes. So, um, John Bassoff, all the way from Colorado for this. Frank Wheeler Jr., um, who has also appeared on this podcast in live readings twice. Les Edgerton, um, who we've reviewed in the past and had a Noir at the Bar reading from Indianapolis on. And Jay Kingston himself will be reading, which is always uh, a good time. If you're in the Chicago area, Independence Tap, Saturday the 21st. That's just probably four or five days from when you're listening to this. Uh, it's on. It's at 3932 West Irving Park Road, and if I'm not mistaken, 7.30 p.m. is the start time. Um, get there early. I'm sure Rob and I will be there early to, to have a beer with uh, with folks that turn up. Folks in turnips? Is that what you said? Yes, turnips. turnips. If, anybody turnips. Want, if any turnips out there want to have a drink. That's right. So um, it'll be fun. <laughs> we, we love doing this. So um, it's, it's always exciting to get that message from Jake. <laughs> Basically... Yeah. We look for is the, the message that says, hey, you're included again. And we go, yay. <laughs> so, We're still relevant. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, we'll have a lot of fun. And uh, this, is, this is a big one. This is, this is going to be good stuff here. Yeah. Big names. Big names and uh, names familiar to the podcast. Every single one of them has appeared in some incarnation, either being reviewed or in a live reading at some point on the podcast. So this is kind of like a family reunion in a way. Nice, nice way to take out everything new out of it for me. So that's all recycled stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so again, please join us if you can. We love meeting up with people. Um, but if for some reason you live in another country or you're in prison or whatever it happens to mean you can't make it, we will be podcasting this. We're recording it, and we will be putting it up as episodes. So you get to hear all of those lovely readers, and you get to hear us um, up on stage live pretending to be funny in an, in a in a way that we can't edit which i found that i'm super not funny in, in person live uh, in front of a microphone i disagree i always find it very amusing all right well <laughs> good <laughs> oh you Go. meant purposely funny i got you never mind oh I, yeah I, not like awkward yeah. and like look at him fail on stage kind of thing i mean <laughs> i meant like entertaining that's what i meant entertaining there is none of that when it comes to Rob. No, you you do just fine. All right. Hey, one more thing to plug. Um, I promise we'd let Rob off the hook because Rob has spent just thousands of hours editing over the last couple of months. So we're going to keep this one a little shorter than the last few. But I do want to plug one other thing, and it's a uh, it's a book in more of a website. Ryan McRae, who is our marketing intern, um, and I realize that's a full-time job for him, but he still figures out a way to squeeze in um, his own thing. And I'm going to strongly encourage. So I met Ryan, you know, months ago, we talked a little bit. He does this thing. He has a website called the ADHD nerd.com. Um, I spent some time on this website over the last couple of weeks, I guess. And what I really found out is even though I don't have ADHD, that there are really helpful time management hints on here too. So I've actually recommended this to a few people and I recommend that you go to this website if for nothing else, but to see this great picture that's right on the front page of it of Ryan, <laughs> um, 
and in my head, this is exactly how I always see him, Rob, is, is this picture on, on the website. It's exactly how he always looks to me. So it's theadhdnerd.com. He has, I believe, a couple things now on Amazon that are like written short um, books and they're on time management, specifically if you have ADHD. But there's a bunch of great tips and stuff and video. There's a video segment that I watched um, a few episodes of on time management, um, which quite honestly, I am going to um, implement a couple of these things. Not in my podcast life because I let Rob do all the organizational stuff, but um, in my actual job, I'm, I'm actually taking some of this advice to see if it can help me be a more productive human being. Yeah, he's a, a brilliant person, and um, one of the reasons that we made him the marketing intern here was because he actually can um, uh, make progress and shit, whereas we just talk about books and pray that people listen to it. So he was kind of our Hail Mary at, like, you know, t- <laughs> taking the promotion of the podcast seriously. Um, so uh, definitely check out his website. And um, yeah, when he's not doing that, though, we make him do stuff for us. Indeed. You know what I also realized, and, and you'll hear it here from, from Ryan himself in a second, he also apparently reads more than we do. Fucking seriously, but you know what? I'm going to have a rebuttal to that. <laughs> okay, so um, here's a clip from Ryan, the marketing intern. Hey, this is Ryan McRae, the marketing intern for the Booked Podcast. We're still giving away the Booked Anthology just for signing up for the newsletter, and you can go there at bookedpodcast.com. In case you've been following along, I'm stuck at 78% of the book Worm. It's a book about 1.75 million words, so I've completed about 1.3 million. It's just a long book, but it's so good. It's like I'm eating my favorite lasagna, but there's 1.75 million trays of lasagna. So much lasagna. Anywho, if you head to bookedpodcast.com, you can sign up for the Tasty Newsletter, and we might send out eventually one newsletter wouldn't that be great you wouldn't be expecting it and then there's this supple picture of livius waiting for you in your inbox oh yeah so all right nerds sign up at bookedpodcast.com thanks and on with the show okay so i did a little bit of math on that whole worm thing first of all thanks ryan for for always promoting the podcast and and knowing about what's going on with the newsletter and everything, which we will eventually be releasing, as he said. Um, but 1.3 million words, if we think about about 300 words per page, right? Is that kind of a good average? I believe so. That's like four, oh, That's like almost 4,400 pages that he's read. And I texted him earlier just to like have this kind of point of reference. I said, when did you start reading this book? And he said, July. So he's read 4,400 pages of a book, of one book, since July. Now... Livius knows that I keep uh, this spreadsheet going about what we've read for the, enti- <laughs> the entire year. Did I? And you know, I told you earlier where we're at, right, Livius? Mm-hmm, you did. We have it <laughs> for the entire year, starting January first. Considering that we do a book review podcast, and that's what we do, we're at like ninety six hundred pages. So that's like yeah. twice what he did in like the course of three months. Yeah, but you know what? How many uh, how many podcasts has he done on that book? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> that's, so, that's my right. yeah. There's a lot of a, <laughs> he did do that whole ADHD nerd website and everything though. So he did, and he's yeah. got like books. He's like written books on the stuff. So um, at any rate, check it out. Um, some great time management tips. If you have ADHD, pick up a copy of Finding Peace with an ADHD Mind: Quick Ways to Reduce Stress, Think Clearly, and Calm Down. See, that's the problem. I can't think clearly, and I don't want to calm down. I'm more happy when I'm riled up. Yeah, you're funnier when you're riled up, too, I think. Um, (laughs) So I'm never going to encourage you to calm down. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Next week, Noir at the Bar. Uh, I'm guessing probably two episodes of Noir at the Bar. We are working on getting together some interviews that will probably be kind of interspersed in the month of December. December is going to be a fucking nightmare for Rob because right now we're looking at maybe seven episodes in December including a holiday extravaganza spectacular. So if you need anything from Rob, now is the time to get it because he will not have time after Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, one of the things that we didn't mention was that recently we had to increase. So we pay for hosting for our audio. And we recently, um, when we went crazy with those weeks where we did uh, a review and an interlude in the same week, we were we kept um, exceeding our monthly upload limits. So um, our expenses have doubled for audio hosting because... Um, we're putting up so many episodes in a month that we just don't have enough. We didn't have enough um, 
hosting uh, allotment for that. So um, if anybody wants a reason to contribute to our Patreon, it's because we're doing so much, um, so many episodes per month that we we had to double our our hosting allotment for that. So <laughs> that says that's nothing. That says nothing about what it takes for me to edit all that stuff. Um, if we're doubling the hosting, that means we're doubling the editing, which all happens in my apartment. Here's what has. So here's how 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 the how the Livius brain works. Are you ready for this? I go, man, we're paying for more hosting, but we're probably fitting in these episodes under the old hosting. So not that we should downgrade, but shit, we need more episodes because we're paying for the more hosting. That's how my brain works. And that's what December, I think, is going to look like. So we have a couple things in the works for interviews. Um, But next, next up, if you are playing along on Facebook, here is the answer to Rob's teaser. I don't know how much. I mean, I think that (laughs) the fact that that book shows up as a suggested post for me every four and a half minutes, I have to imagine that a lot of uh, people who follow us on Facebook have the same thing. The Familiar Volume 2 from Mark Z. Danielewski is going to be our next review, which is two weeks from now, assuming we can get through 800 more pages of Danielewski in that time. Yeah, um, I have faith in us because uh, some of those pages are going to go really quick. And um, just we it didn't take me three tries to actually get through uh, The Familiar Volume 1 like it did for... Um, what's that book that he's really famous for? House of Leaves. House of Leaves, yeah. Third third attempt for me yeah. to finish that um so i have faith that will be yeah but it's nice that we have kind of this buffer of noir at the bar that gives us a couple weeks to read it that way we're not like i'm not racing i'm not going 12 hours straight without sleeping so that i can get that book read before we do the episode i have a pre i have money on the fact that you're still gonna have to read 75 percent of that book on the day we're recording oh yeah <laughs> no you i'm not i'm gonna say for procrastinator <laughs> We were talking about all right, so we were talking about this episode, and um, I knew that I had a Thursday. I had the, this past Thursday off, and then I have today off. And I told Livius, so I was like, I know I'm going to piss away Thursday, and then I'm probably going to read some of it on Saturday and finish it on Sunday. And that's pretty much. No, I didn't even read any of Except it. Except for the part where you started on Saturday. That's exactly <laughs> I read the how it thing today. So, um, yeah, I'm a procrastinator, but I've already cracked open and read like ten pages of. This is it right here. You hear that? That sounds heavy. Mine is still sitting in its Amazon box, so I haven't I haven't cracked mine open yet either. But uh, I'm gonna do so in the next day or two. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It does have a very similar layout, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting. So we'll see how that goes. So, Familiar Volume Two is gonna put us over ten thousand pages read for the year, which I'm excited about. Um, we got anything else? No, that's it. We just gotta say goodnight. All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Come back next week for some Noir at the Bar awesomeness. Till then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading.